So for me, this is such a striking story about the sort of thesis, right? About prayer and faith and not losing heart. You couldn't get two more disparate people, characters in this story. You have a widow, and if you have listened to Scripture for any length of time, you know that two of the folks that have the least amount of power in the world are the widow and the orphan. They are the folks over and over again. God says you need to take special care. Ensure that they have what they need. The widow would have likely been alone with a minimal amount of power. She didn't have any property necessarily to her name. She wouldn't necessarily have been paid much attention to. And then we have a judge who is literally the opposite of the great commandment. Which, you know, when you listen to him describe himself, you know, Jesus talk about him. He doesn't love God and he doesn't love people. He is literally the antithesis of what we are called to be as people of faith. But he is in a position of power. He has authority. And the story goes like this. The widow shows up. And the widow shows up. And the widow shows up. Asking for justice. Now we don't know how long this time went. It's indefinite. But eventually the judge changes his mind. And why? It's not because he is persuaded by her argument. It's not because suddenly he has a change of heart. No, he just is annoyed. She's causing me trouble. I mean, I couldn't imagine being a judge and having somebody come to me every day and say, please grant me justice. No. Please grant me justice. No. Imagine how many days, weeks, months go by like a dripping faucet you just can't fix. Eventually, you don't care anymore. You just want the torture to be over. And in the Greek, by the way, where we so genteely say, I don't want to be worn out. I don't want this woman to wear me out. In the Greek, it's a little bit more persuasive. I don't want to be exhausted. Almost as if Someone is punching the judge in the eye. I don't want to have a black eye from this woman continuing to come over and over and over again and ask for justice. And then we get the last three verses here, which are pronouncements and second guesses. Yes, God will do it, says Jesus. God will provide justice if the unjust judge will do it because he's annoyed at the obnoxiousness. How much more will God do it for you? But Jesus seems to wonder, will we be around when God does grant that justice? Will we, as people of faith, persevered? So how does this actually become a parable for praying always and not losing heart? Well, I think there's a couple things here. The first thing is that even the most powerless can do something. The widow by herself was completely insignificant in comparison to the judge. She would have had nothing to offer. But she did what she could. She showed up. She
She pleaded her case. She said what she wanted. And when she was not satisfied, she went back again. Showed up, pleaded her case, said what she wanted. Friends, we are all enough. We don't need to always be heroic. Sometimes the work of faith is the most mundane work that we can do, but over time it shapes and contours the lives of the powerful and the wealthy and those who you might not imagine at first would have had any means to make a difference. We are enough. We do not need to be heroic. I think the second point here is that persuasion isn't always the point. If we don't have a lot of power, we might presume that what we have to do next is be incredibly persuasive. And this is where evangelism can be anxiety-producing. You know, I have to feel like I have to say the right thing in order to convince someone. Well, if I just take them through the Roman road... That'll be enough. One of my favorite things when we talk about evangelism is there's this thing called the Evangicube. I'm not even joking. I wrote about it in a seminary paper. It's like a 3D puzzle that if you just keep rotating it, you'll tell the story of Jesus. And you know what? That'll be enough. Maybe. But when was a cube enough to tell your story? Right? You have more facets than what a cube can offer. We almost feel like we have to say and do the right things in order to persuade someone enough to show up here on Sunday or to believe that Jesus Christ is who he says he is. But here's the thing, y'all. The judge wasn't convinced of anything but his own self-preservation. Yet something changed. Justice occurred. I would argue that we shouldn't discount this as a legitimate approach to serving in the kingdom of God. Because in the already here and not yet, there can be some space between thy kingdom come and every knee will bow and every tongue confess. There's a lot of work to be done in the middle, and sometimes it's not persuasion, sometimes it is just stubbornness. And again, we have to remind ourselves that it is not us that ever does convincing in the first place. That is God's work. And when we talk about evangelicubes and we talk about Roman roads, one of the things that we as Presbyterians argue is, you know what, that's not really our responsibility. It's not my job to convince somebody when God has already done the work. My job is to walk along beside somebody as a caretaker of the community and to be a good steward of the gift of that person that God has now bestowed upon us as a community. It is not about convincing. It is about showing up over and over and over again. Because, friends, there is not a time frame between when the judge first heard the widow and when the judge made his self-preserving decision. Could have been two weeks, two months, two years, two decades. 
But eventually, the judge relents. There, likewise, is an indefinite time in God's quickly. We forget at times that our time frame is as eternal as God's, and it is not predicated on the watches on our wrists. I mean, just the simple truth that, you know, I know it's only a couple hours. It's like six hours from, well, two and a half from here to Savannah. But you couldn't have told me that when we first got on the trip. The kids couldn't find their tablets. The directions weren't quite working right. Two and a half hours felt more like a lifetime. And any of you who have ever taken a vacation to Disney know those lines are not what they say they are. You know, that app can tell you 20 minutes. But any kid who's getting on their first ride at Disneyland, it's like seven hours. I mean, in our own lives, we recognize that time is relative. What's on our wristwatch is not the same as our experience, and in the same way, the relativity of time is not, it's not God's time. God's quickly could be our lifetime, but it does not mean that God will not be faithful. This is the truth of what comes out here in Luke. So to recap, what are the three things? It's even the powerless can do something. It's persuasion is not always the point, and it's showing up over and over again that truly matters. Because when we do those things, when we show up, when we do the work, when we're there, even if we are limited in our scope and limited in our power, when change happens, and it will, it is worth the celebration. Because it's the places where God's presence is a bit more visible. Rowan Williams, the former Archbishop of Canterbury, says it this way, Can we imagine certain circumstances in which the action of God in relation to the world is, to use a rather weak analogy, closer to the surface than it habitually is? Friends, we may not be able to understand what the rule of that is or the regularity of that is, But if what is sustaining every reality is the energy, the action of God, then is it so difficult to believe that from God's point of view and not ours, there are bits of the universal order where the fabric is thinner, where the coming together of certain conditions makes it possible for the act of God to be a little bit more transparent? And friends, when we talk about miracle, according to Williams, we talk about that. Like the drip of a stream becoming a river, wearing the rocks, becoming a waterfall, becoming powerful. So it is with faith. We need not lose heart. We need simply to show up. 
And as we show up, the moments where things happen become the moments where we actually see God in action. It is happening everywhere else, but here is where it becomes real. The unjust judge giving justice even with a bad reason. We might not be happy that the judge didn't change his mind, but the right thing happened here. And friends, who else but God makes that kind of thing happen? I think that this is an incredibly powerful way to start thinking about another stewardship season here at South Jack's. As you've heard this morning, as you watched this morning, every single one of us has something to offer. Do you know who I find believes this the least? It's those of you who are older. And it breaks my heart. Every time I hear somebody who is older somehow relent to the idea that their wisdom, their thoughtfulness, everything that they know is somehow insufficient to what we need. These children need to hear your stories. I need to hear your stories. Each of us need to hear your stories. There is not a single one of us that does not have something to offer. It may change over our lifetimes. It may be one thing to begin with, and then later it transforms, but there is always something to offer. And because of your presence here within the orbit of South Jacksonville Presbyterian Church, I believe that God is telling each and every single one of us that we need what you offer. This is not a oh gosh, I guess we need 50 singers. No, we need 50 singers because you're here. If we had 35 accountants, God would be telling us we needed 35 accountants. I don't know what we'd use you for, but God would help us see that. Your presence in this community is a reminder from the Spirit, a prodding that we needed your gifts here in this community. And what matters isn't always what you do, but it's simply that you show up. Do you all know it marks about two years since Lindsay and the kids and I moved here? Like this week, I got to see it on my, my timeline. You know, first picture we took over at the house we were renting. It's this cute picture of all of us together. And I've said to a couple of y'all, could you believe what we've done in two years together? I mean, seriously. When we started, I mean, how many kids were up here first couple Sundays when I was here? Not including my own. Look this week. Right? We have done things that I think there are churches who have been around a lot longer that are like, I, I don't know if we could have done that. We've made bold decisions together. We've already raised more for our capital campaign than we ever have in any other capital campaign. And we're just starting? I mean, come on. And when I tell people, can you believe what we've done in the last two years? The way I end that sentence is, I think it speaks to the tenacity of the folks who call this church home. You show up. 
And it doesn't matter what you offer, but you are here and you are present. And friends, there will always be challenges that we as a church need to face. That is actually the sign of an ever-expanding ministry. If we come to a point where we have no more challenges and we are not widows going to the judge, then we have become complacent. We have taken the easy road. We've decided that justice is not going to be done. But if we continue to take them on over what will be an indefinite period of time, we will continue to be able to celebrate how God's presence has been made visible. I see it in each of your faces. I see it in the kids' faces. There are so many things worth celebrating just simply because we kept showing up. So if you wonder, friends, in this stewardship season and as we project ourselves into a new year, like how do we keep heart? How do we continue to pray for the good of this community and beyond it? Well, it might just be as simple as showing up. Because God's already at work, dear friends. Let us together continue to celebrate, find, bring joy to our own lives and to others by witnessing where God continues to do what God has always done. Thanks be to God.